The most intimate bonds are also the deadliest, but what happens when your parents are both serial killers? Fred and Rose West were married for 23 years. Now, in that time, they tortured and killed at least 12 women in England. Most of their victims were found buried in their house of horrors. But what about the kids who had to grow up at 25 Cromwell Street in Gloucester? I'm Chris, and this is True Crime Recaps. If you've got less than an hour, this is the show for you. Amy and I are bringing you all the crime in half the time every week. And today, I want to take you inside Fred and Rose West's House of Horrors and tell you how their kids got them caught. Their first victims were their own daughters. When Fred met 15-year-old Rose at a bus stop in 1968, he was 27 and already married with two little girls, Anne-Marie and a stepdaughter, Charmaine. But he and Rose hit it off right away, and it wasn't long before he left his wife, a woman named Catherine Costello, and moved himself and his two daughters in with his new girlfriend, Rose. A few months later, she gave birth to their first child, a girl they named Heather. By 1970, Rose was 17, and for all intents and purposes, a mother to three children. That's the year Fred was arrested for petty theft, and with him behind bars, she was a single mother for almost a year. By the time he was released, Rose had murdered his eight-year-old stepdaughter, Charmaine. It's thought that her body was being stored in the coal bin until Fred got out and helped hide her body more permanently. When she was found in 1995, her dismembered body was encased in concrete and hidden in the couple's first house. Her fingers and toes had been cut off. Later, the police would realize this was one of West's signatures. They were fond of taking small limbs as keepsakes. When her mother, Catherine, came looking for her daughter, she also disappeared. Her dismembered body was found in a field in 1984. Her fingers and toes were never found, but nearby was the body of a woman believed to be Fred's first victim, a teenager named Anne McFall. Fred and Catherine had taken her in and eventually started using her as a nanny until Fred started sleeping with her and got her pregnant. She was eight months along when he killed her and his unborn baby in 1967. It wasn't hard for Fred and Rose to make Charmaine disappear. They told everyone, including her half-sister Anne-Marie, that she went to live with her mother. Then, in 1972, Rose said I do to Fred, and the growing family moved to a three-story house at 25 Cromwell Street in Gloucester. This was the house that would be forever known as the House of Horrors. When they moved in, Rose was pregnant with the couple's second child, a boy they named Stephen. Over the years, she got pregnant six more times. Fred fathered two more daughters, May and Louise, and another son, Barry. Rose was making extra money selling herself out of a room in the family home, complete with peepholes and a baby monitor so Fred could watch and listen whenever he wanted. She had three children by one of her clients, Tara Rosemary Jr. and Luciana. Growing up in the house of horrors meant being surrounded by hardcore sex toys and pornography. Their daughter, May, was forced to book her mother's clients. She told the Daily Mail that the men would walk past her bedroom and asked if she was available on their way to Rose's room on the top floor of the house. May also claimed she was raped at the age of five by her father's brother, a man who also raped her other sisters along with her father. The endless sexual abuse continued for years until Anne-Marie ran away when she was 16. She later testified against her parents at trial. Fred worked odd handyman and construction jobs here and there. 
In an interview with the Daily Mail, May talked about the ordinary moments she remembered like the superb iced cakes Rose made for their birthdays and going camping, which meant they were spared Fred's assaults for a short time. His appetite for sex and violence was matched only by his wife's. The couple rented out rooms to bring in more money. Many of these boarders found themselves in bed with Fred or Rose or both, and the sex became increasingly violent. The more it hurt, the more the couple seemed to like it. But those who survived an encounter with the couple had no idea there was a torture chamber built into the cellar. Down there is where the kids endured brutal rapes and abuses. It got so violent over the years that the kids visited the emergency room 31 times between 1972 and 1992, but all of their injuries were explained away and none of them made it onto the social services radar. Barry remembered being seven years old when he saw his mother kill his sister Heather by stomping on her head. She was the couple's last victim. It was her that ultimately got them caught. The last day she was seen alive was June 19, 1987. Heather was only 16, but she was never reported missing. If anyone asked, the couple said she was working a summer job out of town or she ran away. Her brother Stephen says he unknowingly helped Fred dig the hole she was buried in after his father told him he needed help digging an outdoor pond. From then on, behind closed doors, Heather's murder became a sick family joke to keep the other kids quiet. Comments like, if you don't behave, you'll end up two down and three across under the patio like your sister, were common. Fred and Rose told that joke for seven years until the police showed up with shovels in February 1994 to find out if there was any truth to it. That's when the whole dreadful murky business started to unravel in the words of Rose's former lawyer. At the sight of the police, Fred stepped in and volunteered to talk. He even pointed out where he thought she was buried. Why would he volunteer to help the police? Maybe because he knew his backyard was more like a cemetery than a garden. Their sick games had been escalating since 1973 when the couple tried to murder 17-year-old Caroline Owens. Somehow, they managed to convince her to work for them as a live-in nanny. She was only in the house for a few days when Fred and Rose started coming on to her. She turned them down and quit the job, so they came up with a plan to kidnap rape and murder her. She was hitchhiking home when they picked her up and lured her into the car saying they wanted to apologize. Instead, they took her back to Cromwell Street and brutally violated her, the whole time threatening to murder and bury her in the cellar. But before they followed through on their threat, they asked if she'd consider coming back to work for them as their nanny. She said yes, knowing that was her only way to survive and escape. For two days, she had to live in the house watching the kids and doing chores as if everything was normal. She finally managed to get free of Rose and escaped from a nearby laundromat. The couple was arrested, but somehow they managed to convince the court the encounter was consensual. According to one report, a pregnant Rose appeared in front of the judge dressed in a schoolgirl's outfit with knee-high socks and Mary Jane speaking in her baby voice. If she was trying to seduce the judge, she failed miserably, but she did manage to make him feel sorry for her, and since Caroline was too traumatized to testify against them, they were let go with a small fine. They got off lucky, but they promised each other the next girl they found wouldn't. In April 1973, just a few months after they got off with a fine and a slap on the wrist for the rape and attempted murder of Caroline Owens, one of their boarders mysteriously disappeared. 
The dismembered body of 19-year-old Linda Goh was found more than 20 years later, hidden in the bathroom wall. Surgical tape was wrapped around her mouth and breathing tubes were still in her nose. The condition of her body indicated she died hanging from suspension cables Fred had attached to the wood beams of their basement ceiling. They liked to torture their victims and keep them alive, sometimes for days. When they hid the bodies, they would remove the heads and limbs and bury them vertically in a hole, not a shallow grave. Some of them were still wearing the extreme bondage paraphernalia they were killed in. Others were found with things like a leather bondage mask with only two holes for breathing buried next to them. In 1994, the police were shocked to find multiple body parts, including Heather's remains. When they asked Fred who they were, he just shrugged and said, Yeah, that must be Shirley. Shirley was Shirley Robinson, Fred's former girlfriend. When she went missing in May 1978, she was 18 and pregnant with his baby, and there were still more bodies to find. He described another victim as a friend of Shirley's. No name, no details. She was later identified as 16-year-old Allison Chambers. Fred was in police custody for a week before he passed his lawyer a note admitting to nine other murders, including those of his stepdaughter and his first wife, Catherine. Over the next 11 days, the police recovered the bodies of more women. There was 21-year-old Teresa Siegenthaler, a Swiss-born sociology student who had been hitchhiking to Ireland for the Easter break. Her body was found hidden in a fake chimney Fred had built for that purpose. Shirley Hubbard was 15 when she ran away from home in 1974. Fred or Rose or both of them must have seen the girl on the streets and taken her home. When her remains were found, there was tape wrapped around her skull at least 12 times. A plastic breathing tube was still in her nose. 21-year-old Lucy Partington was a student at Exeter University when she disappeared from a bus stop in 1973. She was on her way home from a friend's house. She never got there. She was officially a missing person until 1994 when her remains were found in the cellar. The rope used to tie her up was still with her body. The tape they used to gag her was still wrapped around her skull. 15-year-old Carol Ann Cooper also vanished from a bus stop in 1974. She'd just seen a movie with her boyfriend and was on her way back to the children's home where she lived. She was dismembered, but the rope and tape were still on her body. Police believe she died hanging from the suspension cables Fred had installed in the cellar ceiling. Juanita Mott was a teenage runaway who had rented a room at 25 Cromwell Street a few years before she disappeared. In April 1975, she was hitchhiking when Fred and Rose found her again and brought her back to the house. After her murder, Fred turned the cellar into a bedroom for his youngest son, Barry. As a result of his horrific childhood, the boy battled drug addiction his whole life. He died of an apparent overdose in a hostel in Kent in October 2020. He was 40 years old. Before he died, he suggested that a fitting punishment for his parents would be to put them in a room with their victims' families and let them tear them apart. It's hard not to agree with him. But in 1994, Fred actually thought they might be able to get away with it. His story was that the girls died accidentally. It was down to the police to prove otherwise. His only request was that they leave Rose out of it. He insisted she didn't know anything about the bodies. And in another interview room, Rose was doing her best to play the part. She gasped and cried when she heard they dug up her daughter in her backyard. 
Of course, the truth was she'd been more of a mastermind than his accomplice for years at that point. You might even say Fred was scared of her, but it sure didn't start that way. The chances of these two people meeting and falling in love must have been one in a million. Unfortunately, their paths did cross in 1968, the same year Mary disappeared. Fred was 27. Rose was the same age as Mary when they met, just 15. Coincidence? If it was, it wasn't the only one. The psychotic couple first met at a bus stop. Could Fred have been eyeing Rose as a potential victim? If he was, he soon realized the two of them had a lot in common. Rose and her six brothers and sisters were raised by a sadistic father. As a little girl, her baby voice and engaging personality made her his favorite child. While the rest of the family were beaten mercilessly, she was protected from his fist but became a victim of sexual abuse. When she met Fred, she was shy and quiet, but over the years, she turned into a loud, abusive killer, much like her father, and she never forgot the lesson she learned from him. For the rest of her life, she would put on her baby voice for stomach-turning purposes. Fred had an equally horrific childhood. He claimed his own mother took his virginity at age 12. Bizarrely, her name was Daisy. Rose's mother shared the same name. After his encounter with his mother, Fred started molesting his little sister, and at 13, she told her mother she'd gotten pregnant by him. He was arrested, but never convicted since his sister refused to testify. As a couple, Fred and Rose were both able to appear totally ordinary to people who didn't know them, but underneath, they were vicious demons. A year after the police dug up the cellar at 25 Cromwell Street, Fred escaped a very high-profile trial by hanging himself in his cell. He was 53. He might have expected Rose to do the same, but her kids say she would never do that. She was convicted on 10 counts of murder in November 1995, but she never confessed and never offered any other information. Psychiatrists call her a pathological liar and a narcissist. She enjoyed torturing and killing all those girls, including her daughters, but she may never own up to what she did. Even though evidence from her trial proves that she was even more cruel than her husband. In prison, she's known as Auntie Rose. The other inmates know her as a sweet old lady who loves to knit, but her kids know differently. Her daughter May had this to say to the Daily Mail about her mother's life in prison. Sometimes I feel it's all right for her. She's had counseling. She's done a degree in English. Every course she's been offered, she's said yes to. She has a full life. Hobbies, gym, sewing, cooking. She lives in a bubble. Rose actually won a prison-wide bake-off in 2018 with her Victoria sponge cake. Meanwhile, her kids struggle to overcome the trauma of their childhood. In the same interview, May said she thought about escaping her past by going to Australia, but they wouldn't let her into the country because of what her parents did. Their legacy can be felt in every aspect of life, including the type of career she would be allowed to do. In her words, she says, it's always a problem being part of the West family. I know I can't work with children, and it's about self-protection as much as anything, because if something happened to a child in my care, if they fell and hurt themselves, I'd be blamed because of my background. Today, May is married with two kids of her own. Her husband knew about her notorious parents when they met, but he didn't realize that by marrying her, he would also become part of the story. As she said, once my husband applied to be a policeman, but he couldn't get in, and I'm sure it's because he's married to me. We feel stigmatized. Of course we do. 
We were overlooked by the authorities while our parents abused us sexually and physically as kids, and now as adults, they say, you're from an abusive family. We'll have to keep an eye on you. After she gave birth to her second child, May said she went through a breakdown and couldn't even leave the house. She got through it with the help of weekly therapy sessions. She's also close to her brothers and sisters, the only other people in the world who truly understand what they survived. Although, as she said, even in our own family, everyone has had a different experience. Her brother Stephen attempted suicide but survived. He found work as an electrician, but only if customers didn't notice the resemblance to his father. In 2004, he was jailed for nine months for having sex with a 14-year-old girl. He was in his early 30s at the time, although they both say the relationship was consensual. Since then, he's been married twice and has one child. He told the Mirror that his mother called him in 1999 just to tell him she hated him and he should have died when he was a baby. He cut off all contact with her after that. His sister May kept in touch with her mother for about 10 years after she was arrested, hoping she could get the truth out of her about their other victims. But despite her daughter's pleas for information, Rose has never owned up to what she did, not even about the body she and her husband buried under their own house. The place was completely demolished after the trial. Even the home's infamous address plate was removed and ground to dust. The city council decided against installing a memorial garden in its place. They didn't want to turn it into some sort of gruesome shrine. So today, what was once a house of horror is now just a walkway connecting Cromwell Street to the town square. Police believe they may have murdered at least eight or as many as 30 more women. One of those victims, a 15-year-old girl missing since 1968, made headlines in 2021. Mary Bastholm was 15 when she disappeared from a bus stop near a Gloucester Poppin Cafe where she worked as a waitress. Fred West was one of her regulars. He was a contractor, so he also did some work around the place. Police always suspected he and Rose had something to do with Mary's case, but they couldn't prove it. When she vanished, all they knew for sure was how she looked at the last time she was seen alive. She wore a blue jacket and a blue and white dress, and she was carrying a blue bag and a Monopoly game she was planning to play with her boyfriend that night. Some of the game pieces were found in the snow around the bus stop, but nothing else of hers was ever seen again. But then, in early 2021, a TV production crew working with ground-penetrating radar in the basement of the cafe found something strange. There was a grave-like void under the basement floor, and then another strange discovery. When they drilled through a wall to install a camera, they saw something that looked like blue material. When they brought in a cadaver dog, it also indicated that something, or someone, was down there. And if there was another victim of Fred and Rose West under the cafe, she wasn't alone. Forensic archaeologists found five more voids in the basement floor. At the time Mary disappeared, Fred was living close by in an RV park with his first wife, Rena. But a locket, believed to be Mary's, was found in the West's house of horrors. Stephen said his father confessed to her murder before he hung himself. He said he buried her and some other victims in a well in the middle of an isolated cornfield in Gloucestershire. But back in 1994, that spot wasn't searched. Wherever Mary is, she's not under the Clean Plate Cafe, as it's called today. After a week of excavating the cellar, police say no human remains or items of significance to the investigation were found. So, where is she? 
Where are Fred and Rose West's other presumed victims? Well, Rose must know, but she's still keeping their terrible secrets. And that's your recap. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, it would mean so much to us if you would take the time to subscribe and leave us a five-star review and comment. It only takes a minute, but it means the world to us. Amy and I are here every Wednesday with a new recap for you. Thanks again, and until next time, take care.